All right, enough said. I want to ask you to do something that I kind of like to do, to stand together as we read the Word of God. Uh, it has been said, like in the Old Testament, they would stand when the Word of God was read, and they would sit when the teacher spoke. So the idea is one we honor and the other we tolerate. Now, I learned that from Pastor Rob, and he learned it from somebody else because he probably doesn't have a lot of original stuff. <laughs> and I'm one to talk. I don't either, okay? Anyway, Psalm 97. Now, this is such a sweet psalm, and I really believe the Lord led me here this morning. We'll try to go through it quickly because I know there's a lot going on here today. Psalm 97, verse number one, the good Lord says to us, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let many coastlands be glad. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and dark and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord, for you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. And Father, we thank you for your wonderful word. God, we thank you that you've gathered us here this morning in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We're so grateful, Lord, for your work your love, your grace, your tender mercies, your justice, your judgments, everything you do, God, is done in holiness and in righteousness and in truth. And we, your people, Lord, we, oh God, we stand before you and we need you. God, we need your touch. We need your love. We need your discipline. God, you know our hearts. Lord, would you please fill us with your wonderful presence and give us strong conviction that we who love the Lord would learn to hate evil and we would just surrender our lives wholly and totally to you. You're worthy of our praise, of our lives, of our sacrifices to you, Lord. We want you to be glorified. So Lord, to that end, I pray this morning, we pray that you would bless Pastor Dave, you'd bless the Sunday school here we pray your blessing upon Calvary Chapel in Canal Valley. God, we know that you're doing great things. We know that you will always do great things. And we look forward to the glorious future that we have in Christ. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We commit it all into your gracious hands right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 All right, have a seat. I think I'm becoming a lot like Pastor Dave's dad. He would say when his dad prays, he cries a lot, and it's kind of getting to me too. 
and I, I like it. I'm thankful. All right, this psalm, to me, is really a breath of fresh air. I, I'm sorry I don't have a better outline for you and all that. We're going to see in this psalm, I believe what I see in it is God's sovereignty and glory revealed. His adversaries are put to shame and his people are filled. And that's what I put up on the title of this message. Now, I know Dave titles stuff, so I titled this one too, and it's called Psalm 97. <laughs> okay. I don't want to try to dream up, okay, what's, what do I got to do here? He's good. He's good at it. I stink. <laughs> so this, this psalm is just such a breath of fresh air to me. It really is, as most of them are. You know, the psalms are so important. It's so good to be able to just go sit down in your, in your prayer time, in your closet, and then just open up the word and open up to a psalm or a proverb. You know, you don't have to read a whole lot of scripture, but there is so much in there that will speak and minister to your heart. And I love how this psalm starts, it says, the Lord reigns. Now, we're living in a time that is really, really difficult. Things are getting harder and harder as time goes by, but the Lord would have us remember he's reigning. He's sovereign. He's in total and complete control. He knows everything that's going on, and he's on the throne. He is sovereign. He's in control. You know, the Bible tells us that he's omniscient. He, we know he's omniscient, that he's omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipresent. He's everywhere. The eyes of, of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Just because of these three things alone, we know that God is in total and complete control. There is nobody like him. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-seeing. He knows every word you've spoken before you ever speak it. You know, you think about words. My words go out and they go into your ear and God's designed your ear to be able to uh, understand what I'm saying if you speak the language that I speak. <laughs> but where do those words go? You know, out there at the table out there, if they could hear, they would the words would go to your ears, but they keep going and they could be heard out there. But where do they go past that? And I only say this because, you know, we speak and these sound waves go forth, but where do they go? We have the ability to understand and break them down through the years that God has given us, but those words keep going. And I cannot help but believe that God has all of those words stored up somewhere. <laughs> he takes good records and can you imagine a man or a woman stand before the Lord one day and say, I didn't say that. Oh, let me play back the tape. <laughs> those, those sound waves are out there. He knows every word. He knows every thought you've ever had or ever will have. He knows every hair on your head. Mine is easy. He knows every bird that falls to the ground. He knows all the stars. He actually calls them all by name. He fashions every heart Individually, he opens his hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. He knows all of our steps. He orders them all before we take one. He knows all of our days. And he knew all of these things before the very foundation of the world. If you're in Christ today, he knew that you would be in Christ. And he knew that before he created the world. The Lord reigns. He's sovereign. He's in control. And even though the world seems to be upside down and things are perhaps not going the way we would like to see, 
We need to hold on to the simple fact that God is in control. He sees it all. He's got a plan and a purpose. He's working in ways often that we don't understand, but we trust him. You remember the story of Jacob. Just real quickly, Jacob, he's living in the land of Israel that God had promised to him. He's got 12 sons. Joseph, he thinks, is dead, but Joseph is the number two man down in Egypt. And you guys know the story, and if you don't, shame on you. You need to get into Genesis. (laughs) But anyway, he's number two man down in Egypt, and there's a famine in the land, and God reveals to Joseph that there's going to be a seven years of uh, plenty and then seven years of famine. And so Joseph tells the Pharaoh his dream. He's exalted, placed as the number two guy. And Joseph says, this is what we need to do. Let's lay up all we can lay up in those seven years. You know, let's just make it bountiful in the land of Egypt. So when the seven years of famine come, we're good to go. We're ready. We're preparing for the future. And that's what they do. The famine hits the land of Canaan where Jacob and his other 11 boys are. And he hears there's grain in Egypt and he sends his boys down there, but he doesn't send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, because he lost Joseph. He doesn't want to lose Benjamin too, so he sends the 10. And they go stand before Joseph and Joseph recognizes his brother, his brothers. And long story short, He keeps Simeon there and he says, you know, I think you guys are spies. Leave Simeon here. You guys go back and bring your youngest brother to me because they had told him, you know, hey, we're not spies. We have a father living in the land of Canaan. We're 12 brothers. One is no more. No, he still is. You're talking to him. (laughs) One is no more. And then there's one left at home that is dear to the father's heart. He didn't want to send him with us. And Joseph says, okay, this is how you will prove to me that you're not spies. Go, and when you come back, bring your youngest brother. And so he tells this all to his father. And what does Jacob say? Oh my gosh, all these things are against me. Isn't that how it can be? You know, we see the world is just tanking, but God has got his hand on everything. And all of these things are not against us. He is working everything together for good for us because we love him and he called us by his grace to his purposes. This is so important, I really believe, for the church to remember that God is sovereign. He's in control. He's working things out in a way that perhaps that we do not like, but trust him, walk with him, And when he sees that, if I see my kids doing that, which I know I've called them to do, that's going to benefit them, it blesses my heart. And I can just see God saying, you know what? Look at my kids. Look at my son. Look at my daughter. They haven't seen me. They've never heard my audible voice, but they're standing on my word. They're trusting me. Now watch what I'm going to do. This is the God that we serve. In verse number two of this psalm, it says, clouds and thick darkness are around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. You know, oftentimes in the Old Testament, God is seen in clouds and in darkness, like on Mount Sinai, when he came down, it was dark, it was thundering and lightning, and the people were deathly afraid. We see it here mentioned this way, in the Psalms, and there's other places that mentions God comes in a 
cloud. He's shrouded in clouds. And why is that? Because you know what? Man cannot see God and live. And so him being shrouded in the clouds and in the darkness is really his mercy and his grace for his creation. It really is. He shrouds himself to protect us. You remember Moses. He's on the mountain. He's talking to God. He wants to be closer and closer and closer to God. Nobody had time with God like Moses did. And he says to the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. (laughs) I want to see you, Lord. Obviously, he hadn't seen the fullness of God. He hadn't seen the face of God. He heard God. He saw the presence of God, but he didn't see his form. He didn't see his face. And he's like, Lord, show me your glory. And God said to him, I will make all my goodness pass by you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And so we know the story. I know you guys do because you're in the word, you're reading your Bible. God proclaims his name before him. He's on the mountain and puts his hand to cover him and shield him as his glory passes by. He says, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. And when I have passed by, I will remove my hand and you can see my backside, but my face you will not see. It's all because of his mercy and his glory. No man can see God's face and live. So he was shrouded. And you know, God shrouded himself a little bit later in history in the body of a man. His name is Jesus. And he took on the body of flesh. God shrouded in flesh that we could see him face to face, that we could touch him, that we could handle him, that we could listen to him. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So this is just such a powerful picture of God that he surrounds himself self in clouds and darkness. It also said there that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Now, this speaks close to my heart because I'm a ditch digger. <laughs> I run heavy equipment. <laughs> I've been running backhoes for 42, 43 years. It's been way too long. <laughs> Pardon me. But this is the trade God's given me. It's a good trade. And a lot of the work that we do, we do foundational work. And we know that a structure is only as good as the foundation that it's built on. That's the only true test to a structure's integrity. You're going to go straight to the foundation and go, let's examine the foundation, how it's built. Right here in Woodland Hills, I got to dig most of the footings to those big high-rise buildings that you can see right off of the freeway, what they call the Warner Center there, somewhere right there in between Topanga Canyon and DeSoto on, on the north side of the freeway. So anyway, you know, make a long story short, they would drive pillars down deep into the ground, 100 feet deep. They would test how far they moved with every blow of the gun to determine if that pillar was down into bedrock. And the geologist would count, he had the marks, and they would put clusters, and these clusters would come up, and there's a big steel square cage around them connected from cage to cage, cluster to cluster, all tied and all filled with concrete. 
and we're talking major amount of concrete. That, that building out there, I'll tell you what, the foundation's pretty, pretty strong, pretty sure. I'm, I'm also convinced God can knock it over if he wants to. <laughs> but nevertheless, that building is only as sure as the foundation that it's on. The big one in downtown LA, I didn't do that one, but it, I am told, can sway up to like 70 feet in either direction at the top. Yeah, so that's like me going from here to the car that is parked out there one way. I think I'd be pushing the down button on the elevator. <laughs> but see, this is, this is really important because this scripture to me, righteousness and justice, that's the foundation. That's the bedrock of the throne that God sits on. So everything he does is done in truth, is done in righteousness, is done in justice. There's no unrighteousness with him. And if we can hang on to that and retain that, we will never charge God falsely. What, what folly that we would do that? And I'm not saying you guys have, but people do that. They charge God falsely and it's got to break his heart. We also know that Jesus tells us that every wise man he lays a foundation that is built on the rock. And he says, you know, the wise man, he hears my word and he does it. He's just like the guy that dug down deep and built his house on a rock. And when the winds come, the waves, the storms of life come, that house can't fall because it's founded on the rock. But the foolish man, the foolish woman hears God's word and doesn't do it. And when the wind and the waves of life come, that house is going to fall and great will be its fall. This is really a disciple, somebody who learns from the master and puts into practice that which they've learned. I know I need to go a little quicker. Fire in verse three says, fire goes before God and burns up his adversaries all around. We know that God is a consuming fire, to the unbeliever, Hebrews tells us that. God is a refining fire to the Christian. We're told that in the book of Peter. Have you ever asked God to bring the refining fire of God and burn out all the impurities of your life? Probably a lot of you have. I hope all of you have. Because this is something that God likes to do. He likes to burn the trash out of our life and then replace it with the things that we have need of. He's a refining fire to us and we don't fear his work. We don't fear what he allows. Everything passes through his sovereign hand and it's for our good. But to the unbeliever, he will be a consuming fire that will burn everything up. It goes on and says that his lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles. Now, I personally, I really like lightning. I know people that don't like it. A lot of our animals don't like it because they don't like the thunder. They don't like what's going on. But for, for me, I really like it. And most of you know, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Now, I, I've had some experiences with lightning that, um, well, probably a lot of people for good reason haven't. I wanna share with you some facts about lightning that you might not know. A lightning bolt is about 54,000 degrees in Fahrenheit. 
And that's about five times hotter than the sun surface. Now, I don't know who went to the sun surface and, you know, measured it, but I'm just taking their word for it, okay? 54,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Lightning is always flashing somewhere around the world. Matter of fact, it flashes around 40 times a second. So those of you that have Apple TV and you have the screensaver and you see that little... Uh, I don't know if it's the, must be the space station going and they're taking pictures. You see all these lightning bolts in different places. 40 times a second, it's always happening around the world. The average lightning bolt can power a 100 watt bulb for about three months. Now I'm wondering why we're not harvesting lightning. (laughs) Oh yeah, everybody's getting juice trying to catch them. (laughs) What do you do for work? I catch lightning bolts. Amazing you're still alive. And if you hear thunder, you're probably within 10 miles of the storm. And they said if the hairs stand up on your arm, it means that there's probably positive charges going through you. Get in the house quick. (laughs) I was out one time and I was in Blythe and I was golfing. Golf and lightning, not a good idea. Like I said, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And so I'm out there golfing and the, the storm is coming. It is charcoal gray and the lightning bolts are flying and the thunder is loud, just booming. I was just like so full of adrenaline. I was like, you know, God, I know this is the stupidest thing a man could do, but I, I, just, I just feel so close to you right now, God. I, if you want to take me home, go ahead, but I'm not leaving. <laughs> That, that's how I was. And I just kept golfing. No, nobody's on the golf course. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, I didn't get struck by lightning. Obviously, I'm here. That's, that, that's not how I lost my hair. But God decided he would pelt me with a little bit of hail. <laughs> and the hail was like pretty close to like small marble size. He pelted me good. And I was running. I ran to the clubhouse. So, you know, lightning, you know, it's like the word of God says right here, you know, that his lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles. Lightning to me is just one of the many things that show forth the power and the glory of God. And what's cool is after lightning, usually with the rain and the storm, what do you have? The rainbow, that's what I heard right here. And what a shame that that word is translated rainbow because we associate the bow of the Lord with the rain. But in Genesis, God says, I set my bow in the clouds that you will see it and you'll know that I'm mindful of this covenant I've made with you. I will never destroy the earth again with a flood. And I want you to be at rest. I want you to be at peace. I'm not gonna drown you again. (laughs) I set my bow in the clouds. You see God in Revelation chapter five, and the bow of the Lord is around his throne. You see him in Ezekiel. The bow of the Lord is around his throne. What a great way to witness to people when you see the rainbow. You go, the bow of the Lord. And they look at you like, what? <laughs> that's, the bow, that's the Lord's bow right there. What a great way to witness. In verse number five, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. So who can stand before the sun? Who can endure a lightning bolt? Yet when God comes, he comes as a consuming fire. Who can stand? 
One day all will burn with unquenchable fire. The mountains will melt like wax. And we're mindful of the scripture and Peter where he tells us this. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. God's going to judge the earth one more time and it's going to be with fire and he's going to melt everything. He's going to burn everything up. But we also know he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth and who knows what it's going to look like, but this I know, it is going to be awesome. He's going to roll up the heavens and spread out new ones. It's going to be so glorious. I can't wait to see what he does. Everything he does is good. The Bible goes on and says, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all the people see his glory. The heavens declaring God's glory. These days, we see God, the way we see God is uh, much more glorious really than what they saw. So this psalm was written, I don't know, 3,000, 3,500 years ago. And they saw the glory of God in the heavens, in the stars, in the constellations. They saw him a lot different than we do. And I've shared this before. Maybe some of you have heard it. I remember I saw a picture in National Geographic, and this was a long time ago, maybe 20 years um, I saw a picture where they had taken a one-inch square photograph with the Hubble telescope, and they went to the darkest part of the sky to get the ambient light away, and they reached and focused as far as they possibly could reach with the Hubble telescope. They enhanced the picture, and they found within this one-inch square, somewhere close to the panhandle of the Big Dipper, they enhance it and find over 1,500 galaxies. And that was 20 years ago. I wonder what they're seeing now. The heavens declare the glory of God. You want to know how big God is? You look up there and we start to see things that we just can't even believe in. And God's like, yeah, that's just declaring my glory. He is so big. He is so in control. In verse 7, it says... All worshipers of images are put to shame who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods, small g. You know, Pastor Chuck used to say, when man creates an idol, so in those days, of course, they would carve and create their little idols out of wood or gold or, or silver or whatever metal they would use. They would create their little idols and they would bow down and they would worship them. And Pastor Chuck would say, that when man creates an idol, when he makes an idol, it's because he's lost the conscious awareness of the presence of God with him. And this is why it is so important that we as Christians, we gather and we come together, we study the Bible in your private time, you gather your daily bread, that we might learn to take the more earnest heed to the things that we've learned, lest we drift away as we're told in Hebrews chapter 2. When man drifts away from God, he begins to try and fill this God-shaped void that God has placed in our hearts. In Ecclesiastes, it says God has placed eternity in the heart of man. There's this God-shaped void that only God can fill. And as we drift away from the Lord, we lose the conscious awareness of the presence of God with us. And thus, we begin to try to fill it with a lot of useless and vain things. I know you've probably heard this 
spoken of quite a bit. The Bible tells us and is very clear that there's only one God. And this God, he created the heavens, he created the earth, he created the sea and all that they contain. And that's a lot, a lot of stuff. In 1 Corinthians 8, 4, we read, Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. So kind of tragic, and I'll, I'm going to talk just a little bit more about that in a minute, this idea of losing the conscious presence of God, the conscious awareness of the presence of God in your life. In verse number eight, it says, Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted, exalted above all God. So God's people hear the word. They rejoice over the word in contrast to those who serve idols who will be put to shame and will be destroyed. God's word stands true. God's word has stood the test of time. Not one word has fallen from his word and not one word will ever fail. And this is why we believe here, especially here at Calvary Chapel, that the Bible is a unique book. It's not a book we read, it reads us. We see our life in the light of the word of God. And as it's reading us, it is convicting us of our sin and our wrong. And then it is renewing the mind. And when the mind is renewed, the actions change by the washing of the water of the word of God. It's so important that we hang on to the word, that we live in the word, that we become his disciples and know him and know his will for our lives as we study and we live in the word of God. He has always desired to live among us. And we see it throughout his word. God has always desired to live in the middle of his people. You probably remember the Exodus story. The children of Israel come out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. But if you stop and you think about it, how did God reveal himself? Well, he did to Moses in the burning bush. So he's in heaven. He hears the prayers and the cries of his people and he comes down to Mount Sinai and he lights the bush on fire that doesn't consume. Moses sees and goes, man, I got to turn aside and see this great sight. The bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. <laughs> and so he goes up there and he meets the Lord. And the Lord says, I've surely seen and heard the cries of my people and I've come now to, down now to deliver them. So I want you to go to Egypt and bring the people out. We know the story. And when you bring them out, you're going to worship me here in this place. And as they come out, God directs them to build the tabernacle. And what was in the center of the camp? The tabernacle. Because God wanted to live right in the center of his people. So Pastor Chuck would say, you know, it was so cool because all the people are camped around. And when you went to bed at night, you go and close up your tent doors in the center of the camp, there was the tabernacle. And at night, there would be the fire burning down from God out of heaven. And day, it would be that cloud of God's glory. You wake up in the morning, the first thing you see, you think about God's presence. He's right here with me. At night, 
God's presence, he's right here in our midst. This is so important to realize that God has always wanted to be in the center of your life. He loves you that much. He who knows you best loves you most, as you've heard Pastor Dave say. He sees all the wicked things we've done or ever will do, and it doesn't change his love for you and me one bit. He desires to live right in the middle and to clean us up and to make us into those vessels that he just loves to use. Uh, For time's sake, I'm going to skip a scripture I was going to share with you. Out of Isaiah 66, I'll just mention it to you. Isaiah 66, where God says, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. You know, my my hand has made all of these things. Where is the place of my rest? In other words, where do you think I want to live? Under this one I will look, he who is humble, who is contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's where you're going to find me living is in the midst of those that are humble, repentant, and exalt my word above all. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will also love him. And we will come to him. We will come to her and we will make our home with him or with her. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So important to remember that God wants to live in the very center of your life. He wants to be your all. Um, In verse number 10, it says, O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Now Spurgeon said, I'm going to quote Spurgeon. He said, we cannot love God without hating what he hates. There are things God hates, and one of them is evil. In Romans 12, 9, it says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to that which is good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So important. Notice the second part of this verse here where it says, God preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Now, in the King James, the word that is used for he preserves their lives is he preserves their souls. And this is actually really, really important because we might think, well, you know what? God preserves my life. He delivers me from the hand of evil. But how many people have died at the hand of evil? A lot of people have. But what he's preserving is your soul, your spirit and soul. You die, I die. We are absent from the body and present with the Lord. And if he has ordained that you and I might die at the hand of the wicked, so be it. It's like Dave says, Pastor Dave and many others say, we're moving to a better neighborhood. We're not, there's nothing, you can't threaten us with, with heaven. You've heard Dave say that a lot. So, so important to realize, hey, you know what? God is for us. Who can be against us? He's preserving us. He's delivering us uh, from the work of the enemy. So he preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers us from enemy. And then as we finish up, it says here, light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Now, I like this idea about light being sown. Light is something, you know, I can understand seed being sown, (laughs) but light, why does God say that light is sown for the upright? Light being, uh, to be sown literally means to bring forth. 
And so God gives his light to us to bring forth things into our lives that we need. I think God brings forth light into our lives, not only for us, but for other people. He sends forth his word, which is light to us in Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. In Psalm 119, 130, I love this one. The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The entrance of the word of God brings light. That's because Jesus is the Lord, is the word, and he is the light of the world. And his light comes in to bless us, but also to bless other people. Other people see Jesus in us, his light shining in us and through us. Like Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Let your light so shine. And so it ministers to other people. It blesses our lives, but it also is intended to bless other people that they too would come to know Jesus like we do. So light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. I love one of the things about Pastor Josh, one of his little tags he always has there when he sends a, a text out is, the joy of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> God gives us his joy and it strengthens us. It empowers us. We know we're going to heaven. We know the end. We've read the end of the book. We know what God is doing and we know we're so, so much closer to that time that he takes us home. The joy of the Lord truly is our strength. And the last verse is rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to the remembrance of his holy name. So the exhortation here for us this morning, let's go forward rejoicing, knowing that God is in total and complete control, and we are one day closer to the return of the king. You know, the Christian, our call, go forward, press on, you know, abound more and more, increase more and more. We don't sit back. We go forward. We've been given such great and precious promises. It reminds me a lot of Joshua. You know, we've got work to do. We don't just sit back and say, oh, you know, I'm going to heaven. Everything's great. Yeah, that, that's true. But God's got work for us to do. Joshua was told, you know what, Joshua, go in, take the land. Everywhere the sole of your foot treads, I've given it unto you. But Joshua had to fight for every inch of it, did he not? And so you and I, we've been given these great and exceedingly great and precious promises. But God's got work for us to do. We go forward. We press on. We stand up and we fight. And he's promised us the victory. We're more than conquerors through him. Amen. Father, we love you, God. We thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for your wonderful word. God, thank you that we are in Christ. And Lord, I know, I believe with my whole heart, God, that you've got a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us here. There's nobody here by mistake. God, you've drawn us all here. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but you direct his steps. And God, you've directed us here this morning. We're in love with you, God. We're in love with your word. We want to be more like you. We want to be passionate, God, about the things you're passionate about. We want to live a life that would shine your light in such a way other people would not see us, but they would see you, Lord. They would see your love and your grace and your mercy at work in us and through us for the sole purpose that they would be won over to you and that you would have 
somebody else that you love and cherish in your army, in your family, that you can fill and you can use and you can send out into a, a lost and dying world that needs you so much. God, thank you so much for the family of God. Thank you, Lord, that we're in your family. God, none a greater family. Lord, we're truly blessed and we love you and we trust you, God, for the future. Though things can look a little weird, Lord, we know you're on the throne. We know that you're in control, Lord. We agree with the psalmist, the Lord reigns. And so we thank you now, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to go to a time of communion. I think you guys know that. Um, I think I'm doing it right. <laughs> I'm not even sure. But anyway, um, the worship team's going to lead, uh, lead us in some worship. And the elements are going to be passed out. I just want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 11:23. Paul wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as we partake of the Lord's communion, we know that it is a representation. It's a remembrance to us to remember this great sacrifice that he has done for us. How the father spared not his son, but gave him and delivered him up to us all that we might be redeemed from the curse of the law, from uh, the bondage to sin and death, that we would be set free by the blood of the lamb. And this is what communion is all about. You've heard Pastor Dave say, you know, we look back. We look back and we remember what the Lord did. We look within because the Bible tells us that we should examine our hearts, that we would not partake in communion in a wrong way, that people would not be sick and drop over dead. Basically, they were doing it wrongly in the Corinthian church and God just basically warned them, don't do it that way. Wait for everybody that comes together. Remember, this is a great sacrifice. I love what Jesus says. This is the new covenant in my blood. It's not predicated on what you do or what I do. It's all predicated on what he has done. He laid down his life and now you and I, by faith, we believe that, we receive that. And he brings us new life and we start walking with him. Communion is for the believer. If you're not a believer, it's not for you. And if you want to take it anyway, I don't think God's going to strike you down dead. But if you don't know the Lord, why not? <laughs> it's, I've never heard anybody say, you know, I wished I waited five more years before I gave my life to Christ. Never hear it. <laughs> it's always, you know, I wish I would have surrendered my life to Jesus Christ a long time ago. I would have saved myself so much heartache so much frustration. So as we come to the Lord's table, let's remember what this great and uh, awesome, gracious God has done for us, giving us his son, his only begotten son, the innocent dying for the guilty. Let's worship him. Amen. Mm -hmm.